Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Richard Buzakelli, our lecturer in theology for Catholic Studies Academy. And today we're going to discuss the topic of Christology and the, the primacy of Christology within theology. And uh, Christology is one of the new courses that we just launched in March, which is lectured by Dr. Richard Buzakelli. And he's also our lecturer for our other theology courses, including Fundamental Theology and Introduction to Moral Theology. And so, Dr. Bruce Kelly, why don't you get us started? You have more of an integrated approach to theology. So, I mean, why why does Christology have this kind of primary place within the other branches of theology? And, you know, why should we maybe study Christology before we look at other topics like uh, sacraments or eschatology, soteriology? Uh, why does Christology have kind of this this primacy of place? Well, so it's it's not as if um, eschatological questions and even sacramental kinds of questions didn't arise before Christ appeared on the scene. But Christianity is really distinct from Judaism in the way that we talk about Christ, right? The way that we talk about who, what. Christ is. And so in the early church, what we find is that all of the questions that had concerned ancient Judaism, and uh, additionally other questions that had been sort of uh, peripheral even to, to, to Jewish thought, right. began to be treated from within the Christ event, right? From within the encounter with Jesus Christ. Once we come to know who Jesus is and um, and what Jesus is, right? Mm -hmm. We begin to answer certain questions that before there may have been many different approaches to them, right? But but now we see with great clarity um, what the answers are to those kinds of questions. So what is human life all about, right? Well, that the answer to that question is given in the Christ event. If we see Jesus of Nazareth as he was seen by the primitive church, and I should hope that we would, right, because we want to say that we hold the same faith that was held by St. Peter. Right. Right? So if we see Jesus Christ as Peter saw Jesus Christ, right, if we see him as the same person, mm -hmm. then suddenly the answer to what human life is all about becomes uh, really apparent. In the Gospel of John, right, we, we actually have a really strong indication of— um, of this fact, because in the prologue, right? Yeah. How does the prologue begin? Enarche en halogos, en halogos, right? Um, so, uh, uh, in, in the beginning was the logos, right? Kaiologos in prostonteon, right? So, uh, and and the logos was in was before the face of God, right? Mm -hmm. And um, what God was the Logos was, right? Right. So what what is interesting about this term Logos, okay? It's a mostly a philosophical term, right, as far as we can, um, as far as its position in the Gospel of John. It's a philosophical term. With the encounter between Judaism and uh, Greek philosophy, you began to see a lot of talk about Logos. And 
while you know you don't have a um, a clear Trinitarian theology prior to Christ, mm-hmm. you do have the seeds of a Trinitarian theology prior to Christ, in which right this this logos features rather strongly. So John, uh, John isn't actually the first in the Judeo-Christian tradition to talk about a logos of God, but he identifies the logos with Jesus Christ. Mm. And when he when he does this, right, what we want to see is well, he's talking about the logos, the the logos that philosophers seek, the ultimate meaning, the highest truth, the inner architecture of God, right? Right. The very the the answer to all of our questions, that which accounts for everything that we see in the world, that against which all else is to be measured as true or false, right or wrong, just or unjust, good or evil. This is Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and uh, who's it? Justin Martyr, right? Uh-huh. A big portion of you know, like uh, his writings, constantly refer to Christ as the Logos. Um, right. That emphasis on uh, logos of referring to Christ as a logos was forefront for him. You know, one thing for him that I find interesting was that you know he was big with using logos and logos terminology and things like that you know some of his writings were defending the 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 morality or you know how christians acted uh uh, in the early church you know so it was it was you know for him yeah you know it was you know logos was referring to christ in a very theological way but it was not separated from christian behavior Uh, and that's what he was really defending right that's right that's right. So um, if you remember, right, how Justin Martyr, uh, you know, when he's using the, the concept of philosophy, he talks about Christianity as, as a philosophy, right? right? Even at the time of St. Augustine, he refers to, Augustine refers to Christianity as the true philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they used to mean at that time, right, was that it was, um, it was really about it was really about living properly as a human being, right? Yeah. It was about li- living the right kind of life. The right kind of life for what? The life, ki- the right kind of life to be a human being, as human beings are supposed to be, right? So, so how better to know this than to know the ultimate cause of things, which is what? The logos. The logos, right? Yeah, th- and that's completely like antithetical to like what we what we think of philosophy today i mean you mentioned philosophy to anybody today and they'll they'll think of philosophy as just oh just some abstract ideas or uh heady or stuffy things that really you know they don't really have any um real impact on life they're just kind of guys yeah, guys sitting in yeah guys sitting in their ivory tower or whatever but you know for those for those you know even the you know for the ancient philosophers and for these you know, early Christian writers, when you're talking about Uh philosophy, you're talking about, like you said, the right way, the right way to live according to who you are. Right. I mean, it was it it, in that respect, right. It was actually the most practical of all disciplines. Right. 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 (laughs) So in John, back to the prologue of John's gospel, right. You see that, um, you see that John talks about the logos entering into, so this is the important thing, right. That the logos is the true light which enlightens all humanity, right? Mm-hmm. That's very consistent with the idea of Logos. But of course, the mystery is how do we actually attain Logos? Right. Right. So there was a big question in ancient philosophy about whether 
the ultimate logos was something that we could access. Why? Because it radically transcended the world of our experience. There's no ladder that can scale to it, right? Right. So the answer in the answer given in the Christ event, according to John, is what? That the logos comes to us, right? The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world, was in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and ultimately came to his own. Even though people didn't receive him to themselves, right? Nonetheless, he eventually entered into flesh. He took flesh, right? And tented within us, set up his tabernacle within us. Right, right. That's a reference, of course, and if we understand John's gospel, that's a reference to Eucharistic communion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not just dwelt among us as one individual next to other individuals, right? Right. But that's not the because that's not the language actually that John is using. He says, "Tented within, within us." Right. This is this is Eucharistic language. He and so he takes on human flesh, right? He he becomes flesh, and then enters into un, into communion with us, inside of us. Right. Right. That's so. These are two. If you understand, this is these are two distinct moments in the movement, right? Mm-hmm. Becoming flesh and then tenting within us, right? Becomes flesh, so as, in John's thought, right, to give us the Eucharist. Right, and we see, and of course, you know, we see the Eucharist and and many of the early church fathers, but also wrapped up within this, you know, it's just kind of just the most fundamental question of salvation. Yeah. That this, uh, you know, this assuming of human nature was also so that it wasn't just, you know, a nice thing for Christ to do, but he assumed our human nature so that we could be saved. You know, I think it was um, uh, Gregory of Nazianzus, you know, who had the the line, you know, what is not assumed is not, is not saved. Right. So wh- why would he say this? Right. Yeah. So this is, we're getting to really the answer to the question, which is why is Christology, why the primacy of Christology, Mm -hmm. right? Now, you could answer this just by saying, well, because Christ is the most important thing in Christianity. Right. Duh, right? (laughs) But, But no, the answer isn't that simple, right? Why do we have to be Christian in the first place, right? So why... Why are we even talking about being Christian? Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Why? Because what becomes clear in the Christ event is that um, there is that in Christ we have we have the sort of crystallization point of all kinds of intuitions and expectations from within from that were already present in Judaism, mm-hmm. right? Namely, that God in creating doesn't First of all, it's an intentional act, right, mm-hmm. yeah. on God's part. So it doesn't just happen to be the case. So God chooses the term that we translate as bara, as, as creation, right, as to create in the Old Testament is barach in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. God chooses, he elects, okay, that there be something other than himself, right? right? But if God is absolute goodness, right, mm-hmm. then not God is not absolute goodness, right? Right. If creation, if the movement to make something other than God 
is the movement to make something that isn't absolute goodness, then suddenly you have the introduction of a problem, right? Which is that if God creates, if he, if he makes creation merely to be other than himself, yeah, then actually he introduces evil. If you see this, right? Because because it's alienated from absolute goodness. Ah, as long as yeah, it's, yeah. If it's consigned always to be other right. than him. So what happens is, right, this leads to this idea, which in medieval thought is called reditus, a mm. return. Right? So there's exitus going out from, and then reditus, return, return to God. We also have the word redemption, right? Right, right. Now, even beyond, even beyond the concept of um, correcting for sin, mm -hmm. the idea of redemption is associated, for example, in our contemporary usage, right, with using a coupon. Yeah. You redeem a coupon. Well, what, what does that mean? It means that you send it back to the place from which it came. Mm. Yeah. Right? You, you redeem it. All right. So that he, creation has to be redeemed. This is an actually, this is a very interesting way of thinking even of the problem of the Immaculate Conception, right? If you think right. of that Mary needed to be redeemed. Right. Even though immaculately conceived, even in her being immaculately conceived, she still requires redemption, not because, in this sense, because she needs for the problem of sin to be corrected in her as an individual. Right. I mean, that, that's a the, the, there's the sort of preventative aspect which would treat that question. But even beyond that, that the fact, the sheer fact that she's a creature, means that she has to be returned to the Creator. She has to be made one with Him in some sense. Right. And this is so this is the problem that Christianity really solves for Judaism in a radical, radical way. Yeah. And that's really interesting with the you know, when you think about redemption in that way uh, and its connection with creation that, you know, to uh -huh. to to return. Well, that yeah, like you said, you know, that implies that you came from that place or you came from that uh, um, that person. Uh, and so it really, you know, the, the idea that we need to return to God, um, that we need to be redeemed, uh, also, you know, really should highlight that we come from him, you know, and even, you know, even, you know, and this gets into even when you talk about, um, uh, the church, you know, in ecclesiology, you know, you have that, uh, that kind of mysterious, you know, saying from, uh, the shepherd of Hermas, you know, uh -huh. that the church was a plan born in the father's heart. You know, yeah. the church was kind of there from the beginning. Like that's a that's an odd statement to to make because I mean even as Catholics, you know, we say, well, you know, the church's you know birthday, you know, is at Pentecost or something like that. But 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 the idea of 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 God having a a place and having a people that He mm -hmm. gathered together uh, um, because they were scattered by sin. Uh, was something there from the beginning. It was, it was like you said, a plan born from the Father's heart. You know, again, pointing back to, you know, the Trinity being present at creation, Christ being present at creation, and, of course, pointing back to uh, uh, the idea of Christ, especially as, as Logos, the Word. Mm -hmm. One way I like to think about, you know, the early church is they knew from the apostles. They, they kind of understood, you know, the truth about who God is, and they were given the task of going and preaching. 
Now, the mm-hmm. problem is, is that their language was faulty or their language was lacking to, you know, how do we even how do we even communicate this? And so you have just this, you know, explosion of of Christological heresies uh, in the early church, yeah. you know, which which I think also goes to our the, the point we're trying to make is, you know, the primacy of Christology. Well, you know, besides, you know, maybe the Trinity, uh, you know, Christology, it, it really, you know, was the the, the first issue uh, um, you know, or the second issue after the Trinity that the church had to deal with. Right. So in the early, in the early church, the, um, the Christological problems and the Trinitarian problems were really kind of occurring simultaneously. Right. And were, were different dimensions of really the same issue. For example, right. The, um, whether the Logos is homoousion with the father, right. Is Mm -hmm. he one is he of the same act of substance being with the Father? Is actually a Trinitarian question as much as it's a theological, as much as it's a Christological one, right? Right. right. Whereas, right then, you've got the um, uh, the problem of one of the most interesting problems in the early church, right, is the problem of Docetism, mm-hmm. which we find actually very, very early. Uh, in fact, you know, it really is probably one of the earliest of all the major heresies that the church had to deal with. Right, because we find it actually already clearly identified, not by name. It wasn't called Docetism at the time, but we find it conceptually identified very, very clearly and explicitly in the writings of Ignatius of Antioch. Right, it was a major problem in the church, uh, in, in the in the churches of uh, of Syria. And what are the what are the Docetists? What what was kind of their main position? What did they what did they hold? The Dostas were interesting. They uh, accepted the idea that the Logos was God, mm-hmm. right? The Logos was divine. Or at least they didn't get into um, the kinds of nitty-gritty disputes that emerged later over, um, you know, whether he was, in what sense exactly was the Logos divine. But um, but they, they weren't contesting the divinity of the Logos, right? What they were contesting actually was the incarnation itself. And you might think that from a Christian point of view, that's just absolutely absurd, right? right? <laughs> uh, like the whole point of, the, of Christianity is the incarnation. But um, but no, they, they were saying that, um, no, the, the Logos is divine, but of course the Logos doesn't actually become uh, a human being because human beings are material entities, right? Right. We have bodies matter and god is pure spirit you, you you can't mix matter and spirit that way right our whole problem is that matter and spirit matter and spirit are are linked in us right mm-hmm. are mixed so um you know they're going back to a, a gnostic uh a gnostic dualistic prejudice right, right. which is absolutely ante- antithetical to the entire judeo-christian tradition namely that there are two countervailing forces at work, right? One good and the other evil, one spiritual and the other material, mm-hmm. right? So that um, human beings have a problem, which is precisely that our spirits have been constrained in the material world. Right. We've become subject to matter, right? And that liberation for us, real deliverance, is liberation from matter. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you if you think about what the world looked like from within that dualistic frame of mind, this was a world in which 
people actually expected reincarnation and reincarnation was a bad thing yeah. right so you expected to be you expected to be to come back in some way there was some sort of recycling of life into the material world that was bad right think about the platonic idea of remembering right oh, so yeah. when you sort of you learn a mathematical um solution right you learn a mathematical formula and you go oh yeah right as if you remember it from a past having life known it before and now you forgot it right and now it's coming back to you so that idea right that idea that learning is really just remembering something you knew before is part of this notion right part of this idea that you're somehow trapped in your body and that the real deliverance is finally to be liberated from the body altogether and you become pure sort of uh spirit right right so if this is your if this is your worldview and then all of a sudden you have these the these people spring onto you know the world uh and they start talking about how god took on a material body like this is this would be yeah like, outrageous no. yeah no that's not how it happened Right. So they so for some reason they found the Christian they found the Christian story, right, to be kind of um meaningful to them, but they absolutely had to nullify it of its real of its real power, right? Right, right. Um because because they just couldn't accept the um they just couldn't accept the premise on which the whole thing is based, which is the incarnation, right? So now, so when it, this really this really illustrates the point, right, about the centrality of um, Christology, because the whole notion of what Christianity really accomplishes, right, mm -hmm. is that God really has reconciled the world to Himself. He really has brought creation back into into union with Himself uh, in the incarnation. He he pulls creation back to Himself in and through the human person. He grabs creation by humanity, right? And the way that he does this, uh, ultimately, right, is by becoming one of us. Mm -hmm. and, and the interesting thing is, in the process of doing that, because our intellects have been darkened, our wills have been weakened from original sin, we've lost the grace, in the process of doing that, not only does he actually, re, you know, uh, bring about redemption, but at the same time, he now shows us what what it means to be a human person in reality. So it's not only bringing about that redemption, but now it's showing us like, oh, this is how we're supposed to be as human persons. You know, Christ. Right. What's the you know Vatican two? You know, Christ. Uh, you know, uh, reveals man to himself. That's you know, right. That that, That's that right. quote. Yeah. So I mean, it's it 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 just brings in this these, so many different dimensions you know, to the human person. And like you said, you know, then, then that, you know, completely changes how we look at morality that completely changes, you know, how we look at the sacraments and grace, uh, and all these right. things, you know, I used to do, uh, baptism prep when I worked for a, a parish and we were, we would talk about, you know, what are the effects of baptism? What does it actually do? You know, you know, and I would tell this to people, you know, say like, you know, baptism, it really unites you to the person of Christ. It's not, fancy language it's not kind of this you know oh that's a nice symbol being united to christ you know like spouses or you know best friends or something like that it's 
No, there's a, 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 a real union that takes place at baptism. And, 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 I, and I found that, you know, many times the, the, the reason why that doesn't always get understood is because of we don't always understand who Christ is and what the incarnation actually is and what it actually does yeah. for all of humanity. Right. right. So, so frequently, you know, you hear people talk about Christ becoming a human being and, and they think one of the ways that people talk about it, which, of course, is completely just beside the point. Right is to say that he he came to tell us. Yeah. Right. It's it's always in this sort of telling language what God really wants from us, and I'm like, well, I mean, actually, Jesus kind of addresses this issue already, doesn't he? He actually addresses this issue in the gospel. Remember the story about, remember the story about um, the rich man and Lazarus, right? Yeah. And the rich man is like, well, because he's 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 got a problem, right, at this particular point in the story where, you know, he's, it looks like he's going to go to hell. And he says, um, he says, well, at least let me go back and um, warn my, my, my family about this impending doom. And, and then you hear, um, you know, the answer is no. Um, They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to anyone, even if he should come back from the dead, right? <laughs> yeah. So the he's actually kind of nullifying that that interpretation of what the purpose of the incarnation is. Yeah. If you think about it this way, right? Like if if the purpose of the incarnation was just to be, was just to sort of like be the prophet who finally we need to listen to because we could ignore all the other ones, <laughs> um, right? That's that's really that. That's contradicted by by Jesus in the gospel. Yeah, and it's quite arrogant as that well. You know, it's is actually contradicted. So, um, so that's uh, that's not it, right? Um, it's really that Jesus comes not simply to do something, right, but right. to be something. Mm-hmm. And you see this language all over the place in in the New Testament. Um, Paul describes Jesus, right. Uh, he says um, he is the peace between between us. Yeah, he is the peace between us, right? By which he means he's talking about Gentiles and Jews. Mm. He is the reconciliation between uh, of of alienated humanity, right? Yeah, he yeah. is what restores oneness to humanity. It, it's not so much something that he accomplishes as a task, right? But right. in and through his being. Yeah, and this even comes up with the conversion story of Saul, and I bring this up to people all the time. When you look at the conversion story of Saul, you know, Saul is knocked to the ground, and what does Christ say? He doesn't say, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting those Christians? Or Saul, Saul, why are you, you know, why are you persecuting those people? Or even Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He says what? Why are you persecuting me? You know, and just in case he wasn't listening, he says, I am Jesus Christ whom you are persecuting. You know, he, right, he identifies right. himself as the church. He takes on, right. you know, that identity. And so, I mean, like you said, you know, it, right. it's so much, everything, everything is, you know, wrapped up in his being. That's right. So, and, and that, that once you get that, you really start to understand St. Paul. Right. You really start to understand, right. That when Paul is talking about the body of Christ, ecclesiology, he, he's, it's not a metaphor. Right. It's not. Yeah. Right? That is not a metaphor. 
he actually means, right? Yeah. In some, obviously, in some way that that defies our normal understanding of what bodiliness is, but uh, nonetheless, right? He he really does mean this kind of literally, right? And I, it, I, sometimes I sometimes I use language. I, I use this term. I coined this term to describe this um, meta literal. <laughs> okay, so it's it's in other words, it's not metaphorical, right? right. It's not metaphorical in the sense that we're using language. Um, we really mean something else, but we're using this language to talk about it because it's familiar to us. No, right, right. what what I um, what we're actually saying is it's literal, but it's even more literal than literal, right? It's like <laughs> it, it's from um, the beginning, literal, you know, kind of a yeah, right. pre-time kind of you know in the in the you know to use Platonic, you know, in the universal kind of literal yeah. meaning so what 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 our what our normal experience is right yeah. is that's the analogy to what's actually being talked about right, right you get right. what i'm saying yeah you know you see you know christ identifying himself you know as the church um yeah you know i always you know sometimes it's kind of you know it's kind of one of those kind of shocking statements but you know, in a very real way, you know, there's, like you said, because everything is wrapped up in his being in a very real way, you know, nobody simply follows Jesus, you know, into heaven. Like, heaven is being united to him, being yeah. brought into the inner life of the Trinity, having right. a share in that life. It's not, right. it's not like, That's well, right. I followed, you know, Christ as a, you know, you know, I did what he said, you know, it's kind of a philosophy or, you know. Uh, even even kind of you know the the generic term disciple well i was a disciple of him well you know does that mean that you just learned from him or what does that mean like no i heaven is being really united to christ and, right. and that's so, that's really an effect of baptism as well right right so i mean there's all kinds of language in the new testament that points in this direction right i mean think about the judgment of nations scene in the gospel of matthew where jesus says whatever you did to the least of my brothers this you did to me, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And he he really this is really really okay. Yeah. Now the other thing is though, think about along the resurrection lines, the, the, or the heaven lines, right? Think about um, the think about Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, and 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 he's confronted by um, he's confronted by Martha, right? And Jesus says, do you believe that your brother will rise? Okay. Now, this, this idea of resurrection was an idea that was floating around ancient Judaism at the time. It was denied by the Sadducees, mm -hmm. but it was held by the Pharisees and by the Essenes. Okay. They, they, both, they both held this idea that there was some kind of resurrection. Um, no one knew how it would, be, how it would occur, right? right? But they had an idea of bodily resurrection, uh, at least spiritual resurrection. Right. But many held the view of bodily resurrection, as we see reflected in the story of the woman and her seven sons in the second Maccabees, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but Jesus' response, right? So Martha gives him the, the answer, oh, yes, I do believe in the resurrection, right? But Jesus goes even further, right? He says, I am the resurrection. Yeah, right? that just yeah, it takes on a whole new dimension, different, you know, everything is wrapped up in his being. He didn't come to just do something or he didn't come to just show us something that 
everything had to do with his being. You know, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just, you know, I came to show you the way to uh, to salvation. Right. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, um, so when people say, show us the way to the Father, right? That's his response. I am the way. Okay? So, um, the... The bread of life discourse in the Gospel of John, right, uh, is directly to this point. Okay, so if you think about the Catholic teaching about the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, Mm -hmm. a teaching which I think is um, clearly, right, clearly witnessed, uh, not only, I mean, it's clearly witnessed in the Gospel of John, clearly witnessed in the primitive church. So what is... What is the logic behind Catholic teaching on the Eucharist, right? Mm-hmm. We, it seems so unlikely, and that's why we tend to, um, to doubt it, right? right? It doesn't look like flesh. It doesn't look like blood. All the problems that we associate with the Catholic teaching of transubstantiation, right? Um, we get, I get that. The problem is, though, that when people are asking these questions, and they, they ask, well, um, why does Jesus need, why would Jesus need to do that, right? We're actually missing the connection between the sacrament and the incarnation. Right. Okay, so, um, so and we can see this actually in the Bread of Life discourse very clearly. So Jesus goes on to say, right, um, unless you gnaw at the flesh, he uses very explicit language, right? Right. Unless you gnaw at the flesh of the Son of Man and drink down his blood, you do not have life within you. And the word he uses for life here is zoe, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the word that's used in the Judeo-Christian tradition, right? It's the Greek word that they use for spiritual life or the life that comes from God, a life that's not subject to coming to be and passing away. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, as distinct from the from the word bios, right, which is the life that animals have, right. So um, he says, you do not have zoe within you. But if you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you will have life in you, and I will raise you up. Now this is also interesting in the broader discussion we were having, right? Mm-hmm. He says, on the last day, or Another way to translate this would be what? On the day of the eschaton. Right, right. Okay? On the day of the eschaton. I will raise you up on the day of the eschaton. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, right, uh, has life in me. And he goes on to say, right, as I live because of the Father who is in me, so you will live because of me. Yeah, and again, yeah, it's so much is wrapped up in his in his being, who he is. And again, here, now we've already, you know, we've already talked about it in relation to, you know, the sacraments. We've talked about it in relation to, uh, um, you know, eschatology, ecclesiology. So, I mean, hopefully our listeners can see how much... Yeah. Uh, of, of, of a correct understanding of, of who Christ is, h- how this affects everything else. And they say, right, these listeners say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What does he say? 
does this shock you? Right? <laughs> does this shock you? And but listen to what he says. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. The, he poses that rhetorical question, right? If you saw me ascend into the bosom of the Father, mm -hmm. the place from which I came to go back to it, redemption. Right, the ready, ready to. understand yeah. why you and I have to be united in flesh and blood. I am the resurrection. Yeah, it's a, it's the, it's the ready to back to God, you know, and it's one of the ways I had, I had heard it, you know, was sending back to God. It's the return of the word of the spoken word, you know, that spoken right. word is made flesh. That spoken word is love, and you know, love does not exist in a singular. Love exists in an exchange, and so that love has to return. Yeah, he becomes, he becomes creation's response to god's to, to to god's address to us yeah and saint saint you know saint anselm brings you know in his you know why god became man his one of his famous writings which is just absolutely you know fascinating so i mean you're, you're talking several hundred years between you know the 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 beginning of these christological heresies uh to you know even saint anselm and and beyond you know of writing about you know who christ is how do we understand this you know so you have you know all of these all of these councils addressing different christological problems if you were to summarize you know all the christological heresies it would be either overemphasizing his divinity to the detriment of his humanity or overemphasizing his humanity to the detriment of you know his divinity right um, wow. which many of those kind of issues you know we can still see today and and again this kind of goes back to you know the, the the incarnation all of its effects all of its you know cosmic effects that are still happening today but i think it, it goes back also to kind of the in john's gospel there when he when he talks about that it's a hard saying yeah, that's right now this is interesting right because because you 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 reference that um you reference that um that language which actually is also in that scene right in the bread of life discourse. oh right, that's right what yeah. they say. this is a hard saying but do you know what? Another way to translate that, right? A more literal way to translate that, What's that? is to say, this is the unyielding logos. <laughs> Interesting. Who yeah. can accept it? Yeah. Right? This is the unyielding logos. Isn't that interesting, right? That that's their response. Yeah. The, the, the bread of life discourse is given. That's the thing Jesus has to say, right? The word which I have spoken to you, right? The command which I have given to you. That reference in Jesus. Is, is is in the Gospel of John is a, is a reference to what he's saying in the Bread of Life discourse, right? This is a hard saying. This is the unyielding logos. So about the Docetists, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they weren't called Docetists at the time of Saint Ignatius of Antioch, but sure. um, but Ignatius of Antioch is confronting them as a major heretical problem, right? In um in uh, in his letters, right? So one letter in particular, which is his letter to the Smyrians, is almost from beginning to end an address about the problem of docetism, yeah. right, and how Christians need to resist it. And we're talking, we're talking like the year 100, 110, around there. Yeah, between what, really 100, he wrote these letters at the end of his life, right? So yeah. as he was traveling to Rome to be um, fed to the lions, um, 
And uh, so that we know that occurred between about 107 and 110, early stuff, okay? So he says about them, um, he mentions the passion, which is our resurrection. That's mm. a very interesting phrase, mm -hmm. okay? Because he's, you know, he's seeing the, um, he, you see the connection. It's The resurrection is the foregone conclusion right. if we accept the passion of Christ. And he says, um, let no one be deceived. If the heavenly powers, the glory of, of angels, and the visible and invisible rulers do not believe in the blood of Christ, judgment awaits them. Let the one who can receive this do so, etc., etc. And he talks about these heretics. And he says, they're contrary to the mind of God. They are not concerned about love, neither the widow, the orphan, the afflicted, whether bound or free, the hungry, nor the thirsty. Interesting, right? That, <laughs> that judgment of nations stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not concerned about these things. Why? Because they don't see the intimate union that occurs between all of creation in and through our union with Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. right? They abstain, he goes on to say, from the Eucharist and from the set times of prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that flesh which suffered for our sins, but which the Father raised in his kindness. Those who contradict the gift of God with strife will die. It would have been more profitable them, for them to love that they may also rise again. Okay? Et cetera, et cetera. So um, he's talking about the Docetists, about their denial of the Incarnation, and therefore, therefore their denial of the Eucharist, right? If they understood the Incarnation, from Ignatius' point of view, right, uh -huh. that certainly they would understand the Eucharist. Right, and he even goes on to even say, you know, like like you you just you just read it, that you know they deny the gift of God, and essentially they're going to perish. So again, yeah, you know, right. the 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 eschatological, you know, implications of again, this kind of yeah. again John's gospel, right? Again John's gospel, where Jesus says, um. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that your salvation is to be found in them, but you will not come to me to have life. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to, a lot to think about there. Hopefully we've made clear kind of the, the, the primacy of Christology and why, essentially why every Christian should study theology, uh, should study theology, but should study Christology. And if you're going to spend time on any branch of theology, spend it on Christology because it will have implications for absolutely everything else that you study, whether it be uh, um, uh, eschatology, ecclesiology, soteriology, everything else you study uh, to have that, that foundation in a, in a solid Christological framework, uh, uh, it'll just enlighten and bring about more understanding and better understanding of who Christ is and uh, 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 how our, everything we, we, we do as Catholics is wrapped up in the Incarnation. Uh, and also many of the problems, you know, uh, we, we experience today in the church, you know, can also be, uh, can also stem from a misunderstanding of uh, Christ uh, himself. So, Dr. Bruce Kelly, any final thoughts? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, it, it really is the problem, um, and you were just talking about this, that um, many of the, many of the disputes that we face that we find in the Protestant Reformation or in contemporary Catholicism, where people seem to be wavering in their commitment to the constant teaching and tradition of the church regarding 
sacraments and other matters, right? Mm -hmm. Really comes it really comes down to this tendency to forget that that Christology really is the um, it really provides the rationale for everything else that we say, right? That everything that we're talking about has to do with the very purpose of the incarnation, which is to which is to close the gap between God and creation, which he does in and through his union with the human person, right? Mm -hmm. This is what helps us to understand what the sacraments are, what they do, why we need them, why we need the church, right? What our relationship to the church is, uh, and so on and so forth through the whole panoply of theological disciplines. Very good. Well, I hope we've given our listeners some inspiration to study Christology, uh, to read the early church fathers. Uh, so much is contained in them, and so much can draw from there to uh, uh, help our own understanding, uh, and not just understanding who Christ is, but reading the scripture, studying the sacraments, studying uh, salvation and redemption, studying everything. Uh, uh, really diving into Christology can enlighten us in many different ways. So I want to invite our listeners to uh, check us out at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Check out Dr. Bruce Kelly's class, Christology. Uh, Subscribe to our courses. In the meantime, God bless.